0: Hello and welcome back to all of our listeners. Uh, this is, once again, another Shop Talk show. Today will be episode 6, and we will be discussing pre- and post-session planning with DM Robulon. I am Jason Leonard. I am player of Tam Westcrown from the Shield Bash podcast. Today, it's all about Robin. So, Robin, why don't you tell us about the Dungeons & Blackguards podcast?
1: Okay, Jason, thanks very much for having me. Uh, Yeah, my name is Robin, and I go by DM Robulon when I'm GMing our really long-running homebrew sandbox campaign called Dungeons & Blaggards. And so what we do is we record a three-hour session of D&D 5e every Monday night, and then we actually release it as an actual play podcast every week but as a smaller chunk as about half of the length it makes it more digestible and so we've been playing for three years and we're releasing uh, far far behind where we're actually recording so we have 10 seasons in the vault but we've only released three seasons uh we started with four players uh, at one point we got up to six and so now we usually vary between about five and six players, and we play a very collaborative narrative story. So from a session planning perspective, I guess that's what we'll be talking about today, uh, it's a bit different than how you might prepare for a session.
0: And uh, for anybody coming at us from another feed, uh, Shield Bash is a, uh, it's an actual play Pathfinder First Edition podcast where we are playing the Serpent Skull Adventure Path uh we just to give you a quick synopsis we pitch ourselves as six assholes and will so that'll give you a, a good good idea of kind of humor you should expect and uh, don't let your kids listen and i mean that in a legal sense like if they're under 18 they're legally children and they shouldn't listen to our podcast because we get a little little off the wall on the humor and uh a little off the wall on the topic but that Disclaimer. being said Yes. Full disclaimer. Um, basically, like there's one I saw a long time ago that you know those, those warnings you used to see on CDs. This one just says a uh, you know, parental advisory. I say fuck a lot. That being said, today we are once again continuing our uh, discussions on more meta level topics, pre and post session planning. Now, this is a thing that I know I. Do a lot of pre-session planning uh, for when I run things. Specifically, when I run like Pathfinder Society stuff at conventions, yeah, it's it's a lot more structured than what you'd see at a home campaign. Where you know this is the scenario, these are the encounters you'll run into, these are the skills challenges. You know, it's all cut dry. Here it is because it's a convention thing. Uh, for my home games, it's a lot more fluid because you just never really know what's going to happen. Whether I'm running an adventure path or my own homebrew stuff. But, obviously, uh, as per usual, I do not pick the topics. This one was picked by our guest, so it is clearly something they are either passionate and or knowledgeable about. So we will let you kind of take it away. And you can tell us, let's just start with what are the main points in your mind for planning, like... Just in general, pre or post, doesn't matter. Like, where's the where's the big heart to that to you?
1: Combat, story, funny, gory. Uh, these are the pillars of a good Dungeons and Blackguards session. So, I mean, number one, and it's good to take it down to the personal, it has to work for your players. Like, just as you said, if you're running like an adventure, a pre-written module, it's a lot easier. Familiarize yourself with the stuff. Uh, Think about how you're going to internalize it and deliver it to the players. How do they operate is going to be different depending on who the players are. So in in this case, you know, we're talking about a recurring game with recurring players and a big picture living persistent world. So the four things that I think about the most are... um, Knowing that these players enjoy the aspect of combat, virtually every session, I'm prepared with numerous ways that we could engage in combat. Um, But I'm also thinking about, number two, story. We're still going to be following traditional like act structure, traditional story beats and story progression. So every session should have a self-contained problem. Uh, something to react to, even if it's just one thing, a puzzle, um, a mysterious monster that doesn't seem to fit the narrative. And the players are going to come with the reaction and the solution. And then, me as the DM, I'm going to try and tie it together as a resolution by the end of the episode. And very, very often, because we play sort of a serialized, long running campaign, we have a cliffhanger. Uh, there's often a juicy cliffhanger that in the last half of the session i can see it it might go that way uh funny i think humor is important because we also deal with a lot of um you know heavy themes were uh, epic legendary adventurers fighting great evil and so there's a lot of uh, banter and a lot of in-character uh joking and i think that's really really important i think the most important thing a DM or a GM can do is never miss the honor t- opportunity to shut the fuck up. Just let them talk. Let them really talk. And this is where the final part is active listening. So I, while the players are playing, I write down what's happening. And so I have a color-coded method where I write down in the game what they're saying, and I'm using their ideas to seed the ground that I've prepared for them. So I think about what might happen, given what happened the session before, what's happening in the world, maybe a quick sketch diagram or an updated map. That's it. So there's not any great planning other than knowing the story beats, knowing the format that the players like, and then really getting invested in them and thinking about all the ways that they might go. I learned early on, um, and then we can talk about how I kicked off the campaign, that it was a lot better to be flexible and improvisational and allow the player agency to really lead. What was this campaign going to be about?
0: Yeah, we, uh, in one of our tables, one of the tables I play in, we have a a phrase where we call it Kurting an Adventure, because the DM at the time, his name was Kurt, and he had set up this story that we just basically said, no thanks, we're going this way. Uh, I believe the phrase we use is, we're getting the hell out of Dodge. And for the next three adventure hooks he tried to throw at us, we were just like, nope, not interested. And he basically just had to close his notebook and try again in two weeks, because we were just we weren't there, you know, and it caused the. You know, we've done it a few other times to hilarious results. One DM will never give a hard time because he should have put the boat further out to sea instead of in swimming range to shore. But uh, it it becomes a thing where you're right. If you if you plan too much, it becomes a railroad, and that's just not fun.
1: I mean, that's a great segue into railroading versus what might happen. Um, I think we must seed many paths. And so early on, I did need to kick off the campaign. We had two completely new players and two kind of veteran players. I needed to have a compelling opening. So this is really no spoilers if you listen to the show. The campaign opens with the four players being imprisoned with no equipment together in iron cells and they have to break out and uh, it's compelling because there's a clear problem there's immediately something for the players to interact with the locks each other the door the guard who incidentally they kill and (laughs) there's uh, a real kickoff to our campaign and our podcast campaign has been called one of the most compelling first episodes Because we get right into the action and we discover about these characters, their skills, their abilities immediately and organically. So railroading, I mean, certainly I needed to set a certain, um, pace and I populated a big world of things for them to go in directions for them to do. But like your anecdote, I found very quickly, if I dangled a hook, they would run in the opposite direction, um, And that I had to let them move their interest across many things. When they settled on something, I would elaborate and improvise in that direction and then pepper in the the story elements that I was needing in a way to tie to a degree together. As in their backstory and what was happening in the world. I call this retroactive continuity. Mm. And how this works is, number one, keeping everything in one place, the trusty notebook. Um, What this means is that after the session, so post-session planning is, if not more important than pre-session planning, I then use what they did and how they affected the world to then prompt and trigger the next session on what is happening in the world. Example. The players burn down a town, a very common thing in murder hoboism early in the campaign. What might happen next session is not up to me, but I should think about maybe eight or nine different paths. When they do take one of those paths, say getting into a confrontation with the town's guard, I then can move in that direction down the decision tree, but then take the branches that I didn't use and then put them ahead. So, is this railroading? Is this quantum ogring? Well, no. I mean, GMs have to be prepared, but in a homebrew, sandbox, player-driven world, and knowing that we're always going to come back to a rhythm of Act 1, the opening, the problem, or the resolution of last session. Act 2, the players essentially delivering what they do, their skills, their their abilities, their horrible ideas, their good ideas. Act three usually involves combat or some sort of action of their ideas on the world. And then the denouement. So we always know we're going to have the same ingredients, but we're going to bake a different thing every time. And so, you know, how much is too much? I mean, for me, it's really, and I'll show you where we're at right now. Right, session 114. Um, I'll have a blank box that just says what might happen. And so I'm already ready here to start notes for the next session. The moment the session ends, and then in the week between our sessions, I marinate. This is the part where I just roll ideas around in my head and then always using the trusty notebook, just jotting little sketches down or things that I see uh, during the week that are are compelling, Uh, thinking about the big story. And then when it's time for the session to start, I sit down only about 15 minutes ahead of time. And I'm scanning maps in uh, to give the players moments before we log on. Um, In that way, everything's very fresh. And um, I don't overthink it. Uh, The worst thing is getting attached to a certain outcome. Um, And we can talk about a couple times in the campaign where the players... Absolutely did a left turn and avoided what I felt was a key uh something key, but I had to just go with it. And some of the players even noticed, they're like, I think uh I think DM Robulon really wanted us to talk to the locals on that island. I yeah, I say let the dice and the players decide. Um if I meddle and I hint strongly in a certain direction. I feel that sort of taints their decision-making process and hearing the players um, in character decide what to do and then do it, to me, that is a role-playing game. And that's when I sit back with uh, you know a big smile. I usually mute myself and they'll go and talk. And that, I think, adds to the player agency where they know it's not railroading, but somehow DM Robulon has this... Path and this horizon that is always in front of us. Well, yes. No matter where they're pointing, is the horizon of the story, and so pre and post session planning so important?
0: It sounds like you also run through a lot of improvisation.
1: Yes, uh, but the maps, drawings, um, even images, or sometimes I involve songs and instruments that they ground it. But there is a lot of improvisation. Um, For instance, like finessing those moments that we talked about where you impromptu have to give life to something that the players focus on is important. Uh, We've all had those moments. I think they're historic moments in the campaign where the unnamed uh, meat-on-a-stick vendor becomes a critical recurring NPC
0: yeah yeah in our one of our campaigns we uh one of my characters decided you know what we're gonna keep one of these goblins alive and thus we have spent the last several levels adventuring with Quimby the barbarian goblin who has uh, done almost as much damage as good and we've had a wide variety of hilarious sad and somewhat uh, disgusting encounters with but yeah. yeah do you ever run with the have you ever heard the expression, the illusion of choice, when it comes to DMing?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, the the illusion of choice, I mean, it's difficult. I, the discussion, I think, gets into quantum ogre talk, too, which is if I've prepared a troll bridge, and no matter what the players do this session, they're going to end up at the troll bridge. You know, I think the classic uh, example would be a labyrinth going through a forest, But no matter what the players do, by the end of this session, they're going to reach the troll bridge. Um, That's difficult because the adventure is the journey. So I feel that if everybody gets to act out their cool characters abilities, if everybody feels that they achieved some sort of level of adventure and progression in their in their character. Then whether or not they fight a troll at the end, whether that being the game's destiny and the GM's choice, it, it's it's one of uh, it's one of the topics I could talk about for for hours. Um, and, and to a great degree, I think that the flexibility of a good GM makes these things seem okay. Um, and perhaps I'll give you an example. Uh, in season two when we were just kind of feeling out and i was just learning that and i was i'm a first time gm as well this is the first time i've ever dm'd sort of a long running game there was an inevitability to the party having to decide where they would go on a voyage by sea it was clear they had to choose one of the player's kind of critical backstories to pursue or not. One of the characters, essentially quest, was sailing away on the horizon. And they realized they they could follow this boat, and they could really follow one player's um, very, I'd say, concrete quest. Or they could sail in the opposite direction and pursue what seemed to be a more collaborative quest that dealt with their abduction and imprisonment. Okay? Okay. So in this moment, I really like sat back and, and made sure that they would choose which way this thing would go. Now, regardless what they do, this player's quest, which is it's a classic hunt for a missing ancient mega weapon, classic, right? Uh, It's always going to persist in this world. And although it did sail over the horizon and they went in another direction, I've been following what has happened to that um, influential and most powerful artifact. And in fact, in season 10 or so, they've finally come around on my giant risk board map. And are starting to interact with it again. The campaign could have been totally different. But instead they tacked left when they could have tacked right. And so in my game that I'm running. I feel that I legitimized the quantum ogre. And that well eventually you're going to face this big bad on this evil island. Because they really do exist. And by your non-actions you are simply delaying the inevitable. Yeah.
0: What do you think? The world doesn't stop moving, correct. Just because you're not interacting with it, correct. I was referring to something a little bit more, a little bit more concrete on the planning side. Like Mm. the way I was always introduced to the the illusion of choice is when you're DMing and you give your party the option of like, well, you can go to city A, city B, or city C. Mm -hmm. You as the DM, you don't design three cities; you designed one city, right? And doesn't matter which one they go to. Like, okay, this one, it's sandstone and has a, a demon motif. this right. one is brick and has you know an angel motif like it's the same city just with slightly different variations for flavor sake. Hmm. that's more of what I mean of the illusion of choice for that sort of like actual the meat of like actually planning out like a city with its NPCs and the interactions that they could potentially have in their shops magic items hmm. available for sale stuff like that.
1: I mean, that, yeah, I see the angle that you mean where regardless whether it's city A, B, or C, we're only going to create one city. Um, You know, in that scenario, I think it gets specific because we know how terribly difficult it is to populate whole cities and towns. And so in that scenario, I mean, my own experience is this. I knew that I didn't want to involve large cities early on just for my own sanity. And so naturally, it did a lot of research and actually watched a lot of YouTube videos on how can we organically make a campaign? And let's start with the mental map. And the first place we meet, it'll just be a town. And you don't need to design any town. Just let it happen. Okay, there's a town on the horizon. And I almost let them describe it. Well, what do you guys think it looks like? Is it a little walled town? Yeah, yeah. Does it have like smoke coming up from it? It does. And so... In a way, I've avoided this by waiting them for them to pick A, B, or C. And I think that, I guess the question is really, is the illusion of choice a contract that the players, by default, have sort of signed up to? What do you think?
0: I think they, to a certain extent, yes. Um, because, and part of this is you know, the way I, I plan for my homebrew stuff is... You know, obviously nothing gets too concrete but I have a world and I, I have what that place is in my head because my DM philosophy is I control everything but you. You interact with the world and I tell you how the in- world interacts back and so like I, I know this stuff. Like you, I, I did a lot of YouTube stuff. Matt Colville is is kind of my, my go-to. Uh, mm-hmm. He's got a lot of great videos. I'm not perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination, but I I like kind of already having an idea, a motif, as it were, of where they go to. So they are where. Now, if they get to that city and they turn around and say, yeah, we're just not going to go in. We're going to go beat pirates. Sometimes I have to look at them and just be like, listen, you guys can be pirates, but um, that's a whole different campaign. That's not what we Mm. signed up to do together. That's that collaborative storytelling where it's like, yes, you guys can do what you want, but at the same time, I have to present you with a story and I do not have a pirate campaign. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: There's a balance there, for sure. Yeah, Um, I found out a couple times that I would heavily prepare a building in a session following a session where the party had clearly declared, we're going to infiltrate this building. So I designed a great building. The party still hasn't entered it, you know, 100 sessions later. They seemed to um, sense that I had prepared something in a certain direction. And that's probably one one time where if I could go back in a time machine, I might have told them, you know what, guys, I go into this building. I got the dynamic lighting set up. I got like 60 rooms. I got like 100 baddies in here. And when they didn't, I, I had to really go on the fly. And, but it taught me to, at least in, in this campaign, not try and anticipate what the players would do. But like you said, how is the world going to react whatever they do? And when I took that different approach to say, well, I can contain their madness... In other ways, um, but I agree with you. Sometimes, when the party decides we are going to go so drastically uh, 180 in session, you can literally be unprepared. And is that a good moment as a DM to say, "From human to human, like guys, this puts me like up shit creek without a paddle. Like I'm scrambling. Like ah, listen to the notes. Ah. <laughs> like, do you tell them I?" Yeah, I'm not sure. I think that in, in i certainly once or twice, instead of telling them, I just bit my fist and went, you know what? We can do this. Guys, you know what? Take a five minute break, Pee break time. We're gonna go get fresh uh drinks and we'll see you back in five. And it worked. That's good. Yeah,
0: that's good. I um I will admit with my, my session planning when I especially when I do something homebrew. Uh, like obviously listen are you familiar with the adventure pads? From, yes. from Python. Yeah. So like yeah. you're familiar, like when you sit down to play one of those, you know like this is the like this is the overarching story.
1: There's and a structure, to, a beginning, yeah. middle end, and various steps along the way.
0: Yeah. And yep. so like if you if you're playing in one of those and you try to deviate, you're kind of just a jerk. Like you knew what you were signing up for. But like with the homebrew campaigns, like I try to make it clear, you know, it's that first act concept like you talk about, where like, okay, here's the thing for this session, but I'm also trying to set up in the first session the thing for the last session. Like, this is where you're going to end up. Yes. Now, did you
1: do that? Uh, Do do you feel that you can do that successfully in your homebrew campaigns? As in, regardless whether they water the seed, the seed is clearly identified early on in the campaign?
0: I try to. Um, I can't say I've done it every time. You know, I've probably run... Thirty different homebrew campaigns some of them you know some of them are just really off the wall five session you know yeah blah you know silly silliness monty python level wacky yeah. so those not so much some of them you know early on i you know, i mean i made a lot of the classic newbie dm mistakes when i started to you know so i can't say that all but the last i'd say probably three or four years of dming homebrew stuff yeah you know it's been clear like okay This is where the issue is. And, you know, you always have that surprise tucked into your back pocket of like, well, you know, you're here now and you're at the end. But what you thought was going on is actually this. And, you know, but it's always like here is where the final issue is. Now you just need to get there. How you get there is up to you. But back to that thing, and I keep harping on it because they tried to do it like three different campaigns in a row. And even, <laughs> and I kept telling, it was like, okay, do you guys want this one to be the pirate campaign? No, it's fine. We'll do, and then they're like five sessions in, they're like, let's go be pirate. I'm like, shut up. Yeah. Um, but they're yeah. just like, let's just take, I'm like, okay, you're not going to get to that end though. And there's yeah. like, that thing is still going to happen while you're out here robbing merchants.
1: I mean, it's it's interesting, and the examples that you give. By the way, thirty campaigns. Wow, um, you must have medals and battle scars, and uh, you know, physical and mental wounds. What I have, what I have you know, is those a very players understanding.
0: Entitled... Why lets me play too much? <laughs> I have two <laughs> different groups that I play with on a regular right. basis, and it's
1: right. You know, it's uh, it's it's funny. I mean, I always say those players are an entitled and ruthless lot. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, now actually, we're the campaign that I've started. Really, in a way, I'm blessed with amazing players, and with just a really lucky sort of lightning in a bottle that the first campaign that we started has turned into this. Um, real living campaign world. So, we have four spin off campaigns. Um, we have Goblin Bounty Hunters, which is a spin off campaign with uh, like four or five other players. We have the Misadventurers, and these characters and PCs all sort of live and persist in this world. So, you know, running the campaign has been um, great. And so, I've actually never been faced with with some of those challenges that you mentioned where you have to in a, a limited series sort of tie things together. And it really is artistry. So, I mean, kudos to you to even like making that happen. Sometimes I'm like, gosh, it's so lucky because the way I set up the world is asking folks first, what are they interested in? And just ranking them, um, exploration, political intrigue and, um, Grand involvement in the world's events, combat, um, sort of bushwhacking, and so they all they all kind of wrote down what they wanted. So what I thought would be best to create was a almost like a I guess a Super Mario type top-down view of the world, where I guaranteed them. And so we have one big continent and seven big islands around it. And so I guaranteed them that wherever you go, you can always go to this place, and it's quite obvious what's there. The wizard's island, this big cliff jutting out of the water, there's wizards there. And over here, these creepy islands with jungles and etc. There's monsters. You can just tell that's going to be the rangery, bushwhacking, scavenging campaign. Over here, like the islands with the little ship on it, you can just tell that's the pirate kind of part. And so I, I we set off the campaign, and I said, "Look at any session. If you halfway through a session, if you guys pivot and surprise me and say we travel halfway across the known map, and we want to go down to the dwarven kingdom, I'm ready for it."
0: That's nice to have. It's nice to have, and that comes with a lot of like with the world that you have. Do you have like a primer that you've written for like your own notes? That you know talks about notable yeah. NPCs and everything, all that stuff. It, How much of that developed. do you get out to your players?
1: It's developed now, but when we started the campaign, I burdened the players because some of them were new, were new with nothing. I just said we're going to have a fun time tonight, right? Not not knowing what would happen. Um, one of our players actually dropped out immediately on session one. Was replaced by a bench warmer in session two, mm. and that bench warmer has become you know, one of our core players and actually that player who dropped out in session one actually came back for a limited one-on-one series and made a reappearance cameo in like session 100. So we have, you know, we have the ability to get pretty, uh, pretty flexible, but the primer that I give now is different than the primer that I gave at the beginning, but there is a core interest to our world. So our world is, A sci fantasy world caught between the past of forbidden magic and a rapidly approaching present of alchemy. A hundred years ago was the end of the Goblin Wars and the great fireball that destroyed a quarter of the landmass of all of our major continent. So there's this huge wasteland through the middle of the the main continent in our world, and the goblins won uh, the goblin wars, and they displaced all the dwarves from their homeland. And so that's the setting that I prepare people with. It's quick, it's snappy. You get a sense of, oh, okay, so magic's kind of weird, and, oh, okay, yeah, magic's almost forgotten. And so if you're a druid or a sorcerer or you're wizard's apprentice, there's something almost unapproachable about that. Um, Whereas alchemy... And things like uh, we can tell this world is about to get very steampunky. Now the cool thing is, I let the players bring the old era into the new era. The players are very aware that I'm using their character backgrounds to make this happen. As in our blood hunter, he's not a blood hunter; he's the blood hunter. He's an experimental um, wizard's uh, experiment. Our uh, Arakocra Artificer Potion Smith isn't just any potion smith; she's like on the cutting edge of alchemy, and you know uh, this allows, again, me to often take a back seat during the session and just guide them. I often say, "Guys, I'm the set decorator. I've prepared this huge world." And when I show up for a session, I'm really just like the audience, just making sure that the props that you guys call for are appropriate, you know, and, and just making sure that if you guys jump from scene to scene, that like I'm following you and I'll often have to ask the players, okay, let me just understand here. You're about to create a mushroom portal underground. All of a sudden you want to warp back to this town you were in six weeks ago. Okay. Okay. Here
0: we go. And that, that's a good thing to have, too. It sounds like your players are also very invested, which prob- helps you quite a bit, I'm sure, because they're they're interested in the world itself and they want to see it develop, it sounds like.
1: Uh, yeah, and that's been a very good segue to one of your other questions that you sent ahead of time, which is uh, do it alone or totally freewheel it. May I ask you a question? How much do your players have an insight To where you think things are going.
0: Lately. Uh, Well so. I have developed this habit. Of every couple sessions. I sit down like totally. Out of character. And we all sit down at the table. And we just talk about what is your character thinking. What are they feeling. And like. What about the campaign. Like what is their goals. Just so we can all kind of touch base with each other. And I know what's going on. But lately, I've been just running a lot of adventure pads, and those make it pretty clear as to where, like, what the overall goal is. So, th- that one's kind of cheating for my part, because it's uh, it's pretty clear where they're going. With the homebrew stuff... Uh, so, my homebrew world is called Breakwater. Mm. And I, am, I love it way more than anybody else does. <laughs> That's for sure. But, um it's it's constantly kind of evolving and i don't know that my players have been as invested in it and i think that's just the player type i tend to find are more interested in like okay we just want like they're not as interested in the lore they just want the adventure errol flynn swinging from a rope hack and slash and yada yada And I I do tend to try to keep my notes pretty close to the chest because I like to surprise people. Mm -hmm. But they they should always see the city on the horizon, but they don't know what's in the valley between them.
1: That's a great analogy. Uh, And it is difficult to know without feedback. So you mentioned the check-in. What is your character feeling? How about your character's motivations? We do that about every 10 sessions-ish. Uh, and certainly when folks level up uh, we take the level up as a big thing we don't just let it happen we normally do a montage like it's this big fun thing um, because like if not leveling up like what is this campaign what is this game about if not leveling up your character um, oh, yeah. so we often do new player intros so you know now you get to do a new uh, you know podcast intro every time that your player uh, levels up but you know you mentioned about um. yeah, having that mystery and not revealing too much but I think you're doing it right I may even start doing that more frequently um, the asking what is your character feeling in this moment at the beginning of this session because it also grounds the player to say right, I'm playing a character who's chosen to go on this adventurous epic path how has this new information over the last session or two sessions how has it changed them um and again these are the moments where as a gm you just want to sit back you know take furious notes because these are these gold nuggets that you want to use and incorporate later to those impactful um moments that you know again you don't you know they're going to happen but where they happen and when they happen i mean who can say
0: uh, at our table, we have the expression, let the players write most of the story through their own paranoid conjecture. You're taking <laughs> yes. that in a much more wholesome way and letting yeah. them write the story through what, they, what they're really feeling and stuff, where obviously ours is not quite so uh, cooperative or nice, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it gets the same point done.
1: Right. Well, I mean, we've had, we have had some, you know, shocking character deaths where, where everybody was very, everybody was very shocked that, you know, death could come upon them so swiftly. And and so was I. Um, And so these are the things that cannot be planned for. Um, But, you know, obviously it's more than just, you know, again, it's knowing your players. It's having something compelling, I think, every session that can be advanced. And as long as you're doing that, when it comes to, you know, we haven't even talked about, you know, how do I plan encounters? To me, this is secondary. Although we rank in Dungeons and Blaggards, we rank things as combat, story, funny, gory. Every session should have those things. Really, the combat is always a function of the story. Um, in fact, I don't think I've ever done a random enc- encounter. To me, that's almost antithesis of the game that we're running. Because every encounter, in fact, I have like a basket this big of things to feed an encounter. And, you know, abandoned story threads npcs who they've forgotten who might be actually hunting them due to the party's continuous transgressions against humanity and <laughs> these things are always um to me a simple function of how many players do we have tonight is it four five or six and how intense is this combat going to be is it one wave is it two wave I know my monsters, I know their abilities, and I know the players' abilities. Um, I gave up on monitoring their sheets. I said, guys, I got enough to do. Like you say. I run the entire world and everything in it. I don't even want to see your sheets anymore. And so that since about level 10 means I don't even know what skills and abilities mm. they have. So when they pull stuff out, I'm like, ah, I'm shocked, right? Uh, they stunned one of my big monsters that I've been waiting to use for like Forever and a day. And I'm like, guys, I'm crying. I'm crying here. My monster doesn't get to do any of its cool abilities. I had no idea your... Um, who was it who cast? A, a paladin. A paladin cast uh, some sort of smite. Where the end effect was stunned. And I was just really... On this giant creature. You can do that. I was blown away. But it was exciting. And it makes me feel like a player. Uh, because... I'm invested in their characters, and they're very invested in this persistent world that they can tell um, they're affecting. And it's not just trivial. Um, It's recognizable that they've been changing the world and sort of painting my canvas with their players' brushes. And and I think that's, again, when we talk about the big topic, pre- and post-session, It's about thinking about the players. Why do they show up every week? It's not the lore and the stuff that we jot down in our notebook, right? It's the cool stuff they're going to do that session and how they feel that week or that month in between sessions and how uh, involved they felt in the story and in the combat and chopping the head off the giant purple worm. It, so we realize, gosh, we overthink it, right?
0: I've heard it described as the um the Skyrim effect. You know if you have you ever you played the game, Skyrim?
1: Uh, I haven't, but I, I I know the genre that we're talking
0: about. Yes. If you ask most people what the storyline behind Skyrim is, they're just like, uh, "I don't know there's some dudes on a mountain and they want you to save the world. But if you ask people what they did in Skyrim, it's yeah it's oh i fought bandits and i did this and i fought dragons and i threw a bear at a giant and like and it's all this stuff of you know like you said it's the cool stuff they get to do
1: yes yeah
0: but i do want to circle back a bit because you had mentioned and i've been waiting since all the, way the beginning of the call combat yeah have you ever heard uh heard the podcast critical hit
1: yes i have yeah yes. we've uh We've done a I think we've done at least one cross promo with them.
0: Awesome. Because I I fully adhere to the Rodrigo school of thought. Combat should never exist without a point. And sometimes that point is really easy really simple. Like the like I've never done a random encounter. Spoiler for my Kingmaker players, those random encounters, they're not. When you randomly encounter a group of trolls that's so you learn that there are trolls in that area You know, if you show up and you fight a dragon and you know sometimes the point is not a lot sometimes it's hey you are under leveled you don't have the right gear you don't have like and it's just here's some experience in gold and that is the whole point but like it should always have a purpose
1: I, I agree and I think we're cut from the same cloth here now look If you want to run a great session, have some pretzels, beer, five folks who've maybe never showed up and rolled dice before, generate some random monsters, random encounter, you're going through the wilderness, you're, I don't know, attacked by brigands, that's fine. But in my soul, in my soul, I would still be inclined to start a story thread about those brigands and how they were nefarious and um, tracking the party. And before you know it, I would be going into, guys, session two is going to be even better. The Brigand Chief, see? I mean, I can't help yeah. myself. And yeah. so, But I think there's three or four ways we need to look at combat. Number one, uh, the three Ds. Distract, delay, or defeat slash destroy. Right? You need to think about, is this encounter simply a distraction? Or are we here to delay? Are we here to, in some way, either to buy me literal time as the GM? As in, I'm not sure what we're doing tonight. We're about to fight (laughs) a giant snail. It's, It's time for a giant snail. Or is it a legitimate existential threat to the party? It's the big bad or it's the person or group who they've drawn the interest of, and now there's an assassin coming to kill the party. Right, so thinking about that is is where I start. What is the reason for this? Um, number two, I think about large versus contained. As in, is this a sprawling outdoor combat with many NPCs? The largest battle I ever ran, it took us five hours to conclude, had about 180 extras, Ooh. Cavalry, four factions. It was crazy. Um, from then on, I experimented with different ways to do big combat. I do like the Matt Colville school. Um, I am a student of like the war gaming, uh, but I also am a big fan of um, Guy. Uh, how to be a great GM, and you know he also just talked about you, you got to wrap this stuff up. You can't do combat for six hours. So I think it's just again important to know why we're getting into combat, how it's come about as a function of the player's actions that the monsters or the baddies or the opponents are appropriate to the setting and the story. And again, like we've talked about the whole uh, the whole chat here in the campaign now, I know exactly what vectors and angles have been unused. Or left untouched. And you better believe they're going to be the next encounter. Early on, it was a little more difficult, and that's where I used the retroactive continuity. Like we talked about with our example of the brigands in the one-session campaign, that retroactively, the brigand ambush becomes a very important moment in the party's history.
0: Yeah, they weren't going after just any travelers in the woods, they were going after the party. Yeah
1: why were they going after the party whose backstory are they involved with who has secrets and skeletons in their closet i mean this thing writes itself and because it's based on the players boy are they going to be invested uh now we're always careful to not over invest in the players should they not show up or should they you know shit the bed and say guys this monday night dnd thing isn't for me
0: an actual example one of the the games i'm running i'm running the kingmaker adventure path and it's very much explore and like here's here's your here's your map go figure out what's in it right it doesn't do a great job of setting up the final boss so it's like it i've been trying to seed little things through but i'm like that final boss doesn't even show up till book 6 of 6 so i'm like in book 2 i was like let's create a new enemy and so they just started encountering these, just these random people all in troops and they've got these black insignia of silver thread and it's different different symbols and stuff but it's like okay, these are the people that are coming after you. Now you need to figure out why mm-hmm. who they are, why they're coming after you and how to get them to stop.
1: Sounds like cultists
0: kind of. Well, I, that's the, the party the, still hasn't figured it out, so I'm not going to go into too much on it.
1: Well, th- And that's the... Um, those are the threads that you sort of dangle. And I always like the analogy of you know weaving and the carpet and the thread or the tapestry. And I think that's what we're always doing as GMs and DMs. We're taking the game system, which is a series of rules and conditions. We're taking the players, which are a bunch of fleshy people who breathe in and out. And they need to simply act through their character and have a good time. And then we're taking this grand idea. And again, sometimes I think the proportion of time that we can spend thinking about the grand idea can be too much. And I always try and wind it back to how is this affecting the player and how they Feel that they have a legitimate place in the world, and, and you know, therefore, they get more invested. Um, so, in 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 session planning, I also try and integrate every session, drawing a line from where the player where the player was to where they're going to be, based on our understanding of their motivations. So, you know, practical experience, folks get very forgetful about what happens from session to session but you know their character wouldn't be forgetful and so one tool that i find is super useful so all dms gms take note do the recap do the recap i find it helpful to have the
0: players do the recap even well
1: here's my evolution my friend i for the first session i thought for sure get the players do the recap and invest them for the first 20 sessions we did a roll off who was going to do the recap. And it was really fun. And you can listen to our podcast episode. Nobody wants to do the fucking recap. Then I read an article. By the angry GM. You Do Do you know?
0: Mm-hmm. I don't okay. know the article you're speaking of specifically. But I do know who that is. Gives good advice.
1: It, it gave me a 180 on the recap. A complete 180. Number one. Why am I making the first thing that these folks do. Mental homework. Number two. I know what I want them to remember. I have this amazing ability at the beginning of every session to take my post-session ruminations, my my immediate thoughts before the session, and like a TV show that gives you the recap and takes clips out of order from previous sessions. Remember that character in Chapter 2 we haven't talked about yet? I'm just going to flash him in the recap real quick so you go, Oh! right messenger dante is an important person life changed my friend all of a sudden i realized that like number one i have this amazing opportunity to actually let them into my thought process about how i've resolved their crazy ass backwards actions last session and say you know the party spent a lot of time ruminating which town to burn next And a certain someone made a surprising appearance, right? And they go, right, fuck, that's right. So it sets them off in the right direction. And because we've talked the whole time about planning a million directions for these players, this is nice because it reminds them of you as the GM in a formal way, but in kind of a funny way. And for a podcast, it's obviously very useful too, because it reminds the listener, where are we at? But that's kind of what we're doing when we're playing D&D. We're, we're letting p- people be actors in a way that normally they wouldn't get to. So this is like a director saying, look, like you say, I direct the world and the props and the weather and the NPCs, and you guys choose everything. But let me at least remind you of the who, when, what, where, and how. And it takes a little time, but out of the one thing that I do to prep, if you look at my notes, it's not a lot. It's just what might happen... A couple of diagrams, a couple of thoughts about where we might be going. But the recap is where I spend a solid 10 to 15 minutes writing a good prose. And then the guys get to crack their beers. They get to really like internalize where we left the blackguards last session. And that's how I end every session. Uh, When we get to the end of our three hours, I always say, and that friends and adventurers is where we'll have to leave our players, until the next time. And then when we join them, I do the same sort of voice. They're usually bantering, and we're always talking for about 10 minutes. When they get way off topic, I say, you wouldn't believe it, but we are a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition actual play podcast. And then I jump into the recap, and it reminds them, right, I'm about to inhabit a player that was like at this cliffhanger moment and is about to go into combat with some ferocious monster. And in this way, that like rhythm and, and it's like, I guess you'd almost call like a Pavlovian sort of process. It reminds them we're about to tell a mini story over the next three hours that is part of a macro story. And again, it's sometimes it's a lot to ask a bunch of folks to do between nine and midnight on Monday nights when they've had a couple beers. So that's why I realized after 20 sections never again
0: mm. I will do the recap. No, that's fair. That's fair. It, and it like you said, well the part that really speaks to me is the this is the part that I want you to remember. You know, this is the part that I find important because sometimes too the the party may not even realize it is important. You know, they may get that piece of information that they're just like, eh, and they don't even note it down. But then, like, you know, that's the clue that you need. And if, you know, and admittedly, my part, yes, all of you who are listening, you suck at taking notes. They love to write down the notes for loot and gear, but NPCs, important information, they tend not to write it down, so... I'll probably end up taking that under advisement for my future sessions of like, hey, this is the important stuff that you hit last week. Also, we only meet every two weeks, so sometimes it takes... uh, It can be a little while between sessions.
1: And and how long are your sessions?
0: Oh, five or six hours.
1: So you meet half as much, but you play twice as long.
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not necessarily for the podcast. Obviously, the podcast is... You know, I am not GMing for the podcast, but for my other right. stuff, yeah. We, I'm in two groups outside the podcast, and we meet every other weekend, but on opposing weekends. And then we game per, you know, basically as long as we conceivably can, and then uh, go to sleep.
1: Yeah. Well, we have uh, we have one player in the states in Colorado, so for him, it's quite late. And we did get, we finally inherited in season five, like a resident note taker whose character also is, um, you know, a studious note taker type. Thank God. Yeah. Because sometimes those players come along with those inherent skills. And as a GM, you say, this is going to be great. I, I now have to do like half as much hinting and prompting because somebody else's characters literally invested at a, um, at a meta level in taking those notes. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, if there was anything that I'd tell people uh, to remember, if you're DMing or GMing a game, um, the, the main thing is know your players. You, you're, you're doing a session for a group of people. And so the very yeah. first thing is who is playing. The next thing is just the session length and what they like. Because you need to now incorporate that kind of one-to-one story beat. The introduction of the people and some sort of a problem. And then ideally, use that old framework, right? Somebody needs to get something by a certain time and the party's there to prevent it. Or the party needs to get something to somewhere by a certain time and the baddie is going to be there to try and interrupt them. I mean, we all know this. Every story's the same. I mean, every story boils down to somebody needs something badly, and somebody's going to prevent them. So once you know that you populate it with some diagrams and maybe a little map and then you get maybe one or two NPCs and a monster that you know the skills and abilities to. You get a couple of B-list benchwarmer what might happen as in if none of that happens I need to at least know one or two more things that might happen and then you try and connect it in play. But you try and connect it through active listening that when the players bring stuff up that hints towards these things you've prepared, you ask them to make roles, make an investigation, make an insight. And that's where you use whatever system you're using, whether it's Pathfinder or Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, to let the dice and the players actually decide, but what did happen? How did we get to the troll? Or did we ignore the troll? And, um, you know, that's probably the the main thing about planning, in my view. Be flexible, be prepared, uh, but above all, like, be present. So important. If not, you're really just waiting for the players to kind of latch on to the hooks you've given. And as you and I have um, talked about, sometimes they are hook-averse. They'll run in the other direction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that is probably a great note to to kind of wrap us up on, especially the the concept of making sure that you are presenting the sort of story. One of the examples of this that came up in one of the other episodes was I was a real big fan of skills challenges. Um, I liked the fourth edition skills challenges. I tried to implement it. I probably tried too much to implement it, but my parties just didn't like it because it's not their play style. So planning for the party that you've got, knowing that they're gonna have like it can't all be combat because that's boring, but making that kind of the the focus uh, if that's what they like, and really just kind of you know communicating with your players really and being like okay, what is it that you do want, and helping to kind of get that sort of plan in your head. What Robin, are your closing thoughts on? on session planning
1: um well this has been a great chat i'm definitely going to incorporate a more frequent uh session motivation player check-in so you've taught me some good things and i think that's probably my takeaway my takeaway is as uh, a late comer uh in my role-playing game career to the gm seat it's about sharing best practices. I mean, you learn so much through practical experience, and then through talking with people, you get all their practical experience. So the main thing is, what's right for you is right for you, and your players. Uh, if what we've talked about is useful to you, great. Take the parts that you want. If you want to reject all of it, that's also fine. Uh, the main thing is, are you, in my view, are you presenting a compelling? narrative and that's certainly a compelling session and planning is going to make the session so much more successful if you do it in like a thoughtful way and that really just does start with uh the players Uh, why are they here what are their motivations at the table to have fun is it combat do they love silly voices do they love role playing well then you should plan for that Um, And then if they love those epic things, you may be in store for people showing up every week, wanting more. And then before you know it, you have a persistent campaign um, like ours. And so, again, thank you so much, Jason, from Shield Bash for inviting me to the show. You can can listen to Dungeons & Blaggards on all podcast platforms or on Google Play, Spotify, all the places. Follow us mainly on Twitter. That's where we interact with the fans, DND Blackguards.
0: All right, Bashers, thank you very much for coming to see us tonight or listen to us wherever you happen to be. And have yourself a great time. Shield Bash is made in association with Knights of the Octagon and Farmageddon Gaming Convention. Find us online at shieldbash.net, on Facebook at Shieldbash, on Twitter at Bash Shield, and on YouTube at Shieldbash. Music by Lee Rosevier Serpent Skull and Pathfinder are the property of Paizo Publishing Incorporated. Leave a comment on iTunes for a chance to hear us read it out on the podcast. Questions and comments can be sent to shieldbashpodcast at gmail.com.